y'all. It's time for a spooky story sesh. Mm-hmm. I'm Jess Nani, and I'm joined by my vivacious co-host, Ooh. Allison Hillman. Ooh. Allison. Good one. I know, right? I can, I've started preparing, as you can tell. As you can yes. tell, it's great. Um, are you ready to scare ourselves shitless and love every single second of it? I have. It's all I've been doing the last two days, Jess. You don't understand. Oh, I understand. I could not sleep last night. Oh my god. I have been getting the texts. I know. <laughs> Allison has been giving me just the most she's she's been edging me so hard on whatever she's chosen. <laughs> I am edged. I am quivering on the brink right now. Oh, Je- Jess, oh my god, our mothers listen to this. Carrie, I'd say I'm sorry, but you know me better than that. This is true. Gosh, I love little tipsy Jess. Jess came onto the pod today a little bit tipsy, so we are just ready for this. We both have a couple of spooky-themed cocktails. Do you want to talk about that now, or do you want to talk about that after? Okay, so I will say my spooky cocktail is I am self-dubbing. It's Ghosts on the Rocks. I will explain the meaning, meaning of that when I get to my story, but just know my cocktail which is technically a vodka soda. We're calling it Ghosts on the Rocks because I made Brendan put a lot of ice in it so I could say it's on the rocks. What are you drinking? I am drinking something that I also kind of gave my own name. Um, I looked up spooky cocktails online and they gave me this. The one that I tried looked really good, but had like the dumbest name, like Halloween Punch or something. And I was like, ew. So I've been trying to think of other names to give it. It has pomegranate in it. That's kind of primarily the because uh, if you can see, it's mm-hmm. uh, very <gasps> red in color. Ooh! It's a uh, rum, prosecco, pomegranate juice, orange juice. Yum! There's um, freshly squeezed, or- squeezed oranges in it. It's garnished with pomegranate seeds, and I feel like I'm missing another big ingredient. Oh, hibiscus tea as well. <gasps> so Yum. I went all out with this and. Halloween punch? No. I want to call it something better. I want to go off the pea thing. So I consulted my mother and asked her, and she was like, maybe like pomegranate poltergeist. And I was like, ooh. And then I also wanted to steal the name of another cocktail that I saw, which was Vampire's Kiss. So <gasps> I which love one it. of those do you think? Okay, I'm thinking um Vampire's Kiss. Is probably my preference. However, may I proffer a third option to you? Absolutely. Okay. So you know how pomegranate seeds, there's this whole thing in Greek mythology with Hades' wife, Persephone. So I was going to say Persephone's poison. Ooh! That's great because I was trying to use Persephone in it too because I thought about that. And I was like, Hades is spooky. Yes. Underworld. Persephone's, Persephone's poison is perfect. Thank you, Jess. Love the spooky cocktail thing. I promise that next time I will come with more than a vodka soda that I've rebranded into Ghosts on the Rocks. But, you know, in the meantime, you work with what you have. Absolutely. <laughs> I I like it. Ghosts on the Rocks. And it looks a little like, what's the right word? Like cloudy too, you know? So mm-hmm. the thing that I love about Brendan's cocktails is he always puts a lot of uh, fresh squeezed citrus in it. And so it gets a little bit cloudy with the citrus. It's great. Wonderful. Well, Jess, how are you? Any updates? I am so good. And I have a couple of updates for you. The first one being, I went and saw Don't Worry Darling. 
And I feel obligated to talk about the film on this podcast for two reasons. It is a psychological thriller, which fits into our theme. And two, I know that most of our listeners have been avidly following the Harry Styles and Olivia What's-Her-Face and Florence Pugh drama. And I am here to tell you that Harry Styles did not do as bad of a job in this film as we thought he would be. Hmm. And I think that it's worth going and seeing. Now, that does not negate Olivia being a shitty person. Because she is. But I thought the film was pretty decent. So I did see it a little bit inebriated, I will say. But I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. I thought it was a great twist. So for those of you who are on the fence of going to see it, I recommend it. You know, it's 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 visually one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. So that's my first update. My second update is that I started reading a mental health book that I feel like all of our listeners, I hate to be the person that comes on a podcast and is like, I have a self-help book for you, but it's like fundamentally changing my life. Like, I feel like I am having my brain rewired and it's making me feel like I'm actually healing. It's called... Ooh. CT or CPTSD from surviving to thriving. I'm only six or seven chapters into it, and I feel like I have learned more from this book in these seven chapters than I have from three years in therapy. And I will give my therapist the credit she deserves. She's the one that gave me the book recommendation, and we're using it to work through a lot of these things in therapy. But all sorts of trauma, all sorts of things, like it is just, it covers it all, and the way that you think about it like the way that he writes about it and the way that you think about your trauma completely changes. I had a minor like PTSD flashback last night and it's the first time I've had like a really bad one since I started reading this book and it completely reframed how this like freak out went for me. Cause I was like able to step away from the freak out and be like, why am I having this trauma response right now? And what can I do to remove myself from this trauma response situation. And like, I figured out very quickly what triggered the PTSD flashback and like how I can avoid that in the future. And like, I, it's all from reading this book. So wow, it's $7 on Amazon. See PTSD from surviving to thriving. It's by a man named Paul Walker and it's changing my life. So is it C, like the letter C or S? Yeah. So I'm diagnosed with complex PTSD, which is what the acronym stands for. But okay. even if you don't have that diagnosis, I still think that it's a very valuable book. Okay. If you're oh, great recommendation. It. So anyhow, those are my two non-spooky updates. Allison, how about you? Um, <clears throat> I, I don't really know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so... Um, my cat has, actually, I'm going to change the lighting in my room because I hate it. One minute. Okay. So your updates, your cat. So Rue is an asshole. I love him so much, but he's been doing this thing where last night when I was like researching my topic, I was so deep into it. I was like, so freaking scared. And he does this thing where between 7 and 8.30, he's like, it's my dinner time, even though he gets fed at 8.30, but he's, like, convinced that it is. And so he'll come up behind me when I'm sitting in my chair and typing and researching and watching 
literal paranormal movies and reach up and grab my arm with his paw or like scratch at it or pull my blanket and fear does not begin to describe how I feel in those moments like like yet last night one woman was described like she was describing being scratched and then being choked and he came up and touched me at that exact moment I freaked out it was so scary anyway so he's been doing that a lot which is very naughty it's very cute but other than that I I really I really don't know what Mm -hmm. else to say I don't have a very exciting life but Jess you said something about a spooky update I do are we ready to transition into the spooky part of this episode absolutely I I please Audience at home, I need you to know that I have refrained from telling Allison anything about this for now three days. Ooh. And just so I could tell it to her live on the pod. So, as you may remember from last episode, Allison referenced that she has captured some EVPs. Is that the right acronym? Yes. On our podcast, Coming From My House. And I very much was like, there's no way my house is not haunted. I now am here to say on the podcast, there is something in my house. (gasps) No. So it all started three nights ago. My friend Bree was at our house. We haven't seen her in almost two weeks. And she came over to just hang out, chit chat. We had a, we had a charcuterie board. It was great. About 15 minutes. Even as I'm telling you this, my room just got colder. Um, (gasps) I was sitting there and my the way my house is my couch faces away it's like faces the opposite direction of where my hallway is and brie was sitting in a chair that faces my hallway and brenda and i were on the couch and our cat was under the coffee table that these are all very important details brie was mid-sentence suddenly stops scrunches her face and was like what was that And proceeds to tell us that she could have sworn she just saw a man walk through our hallway. And at first she thought it was Brendan, but then realized Brendan was sitting on the couch talking to her. Okay. Then, the next night, I got up to use the restroom at two in the morning. And I have a salt lamp, nightlight, in my restroom. And I usually when it's 2am and I'm half asleep and I go to the restroom, I don't turn on my big light because I like don't want to wake my body back up. So I use the restroom and I also don't close the door because it's 2am. My partner's asleep and I don't like when my cat like walks in and opens the door while it's 2am and I'm in the restroom. So I just, you know, preventative measures. I use the restroom, flush do the thing, and then I'm washing my hands and my sink faces away from the door so like my back is to the door and I look up in the mirror and I swear to you on my life something walked by in the back of the mirror oh my god I turned on yes I turned on the light and I was like I don't appreciate you being here I'm going to go to bed please go away and I will say I don't feel like it is a negative entity I think that it is a curious spirit and I don't get any bad juju from it, but it's hanging out. So then, Allison. Jess. No, Jess, no. Today, while I was finishing my podcast um, for the day, I was doing some final little add-in research, seeing if I could find any firsthand accounts and stuff. 
And Brendan went to the gym at five and I was doing this like five, five thirty ish. And I am sitting at the desk like I am right now. And as you can see, my back is to the room and I had the door cracked. Moose was asleep on the bed. Brendan was gone and I could hear somebody pacing in the living room. And I know that Brendan is not home. I know that my neighbors are not home because two of them are traveling. And I know it was not Moose. My watch just vibrated and I about lost my goddamn mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, why is my thigh vibrating right now? Uh, so I have to spend the night here alone on Friday night because Brendan will be staying in Logan. So when we are done recording this podcast, I will be doing a little... Because like I said, it does not feel like it is negative. I just think that it's curious. It's definitely a man. For sure a man. Um, I would guess middle-aged. Maybe a little bit younger. Like 30s-ish. I don't know if it's residual. It might be residual. But it seems very curious. And it seems fixated on me. <gasps> you don't say that! You okay, so, wait. Like, fixated in what way? As in, it's... I don't notice it when Brendan is around. So, like, Brendan was asleep and or gone for all of these... I guess it, he was there for the Brie thing, but what are you doing right Sorry, now? Sorry, <laughs> I thought I saw something moving behind me, and I thought my cat was trying to push open the door, but he's not. I don't... I'm not going to think about that. Sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> Did I just transition my ghost to you? Absolutely not. I do not claim this energy. I do not claim this energy either. I have made it very clear that I would like this thing to leave and I don't appreciate you being here even though I get that you're here under nice circumstances but this is my plea to the thing to please leave my house so yeah Jess I I've been at your house and I have not felt anything I'm very sensitive and I have not I have slept at your house before and I'm not good at sleeping at places that I don't live and it feels fine and so Mm -hmm. it's probably just passing through that happens I think it's passing through and it got curious. So Say that the apartment across the hall is really nice. The apartment across the hall has more open floor space than mine. And it's currently empty until tonight. So go hang out with Jake. But anywho, those are my spooky updates for you. So I think I accidentally I think I accidentally um, brought a spirit into my house. Um so because the last e so we've heard like two little evps one was like a high pitch kind of noise and then the second one was like a weird like robotic almost robotic like man's voice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i'm sorry if i also manifested this for you <laughs> that's okay we are like i said going to be cleansing my house later I told Brendan when I got home, I was like, hey, by the way, we're doing something kind of funny tonight. We will be cleansing the house. So. Got it. Cool. Well, with that being said, I have a really fucking scary story. (laughs) Am I going to have to turn the lights up for this? You get to choose. Um, All right. Okay. My cat will probably push open my door um, at some point. It'll scare the shit out of me. But it will be happening. So, okay, with that being said, Jess, I am going to be telling you about one of the most haunted places in America. I will be telling you about the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Dear fucking God. (laughs) All right. 
Yeah, going in strong, and the name, not so PC, but they named it in the 1800s, and that's what it's called. So, my sources for this, I watched three different paranormal investigation shows all investigating this one spot, and I will just say, as much as paranormal investigators are controversial and a lot of their stuff could be faked, I truly felt in these three that I watched that this evidence that they got was like authentic mm-hmm. and because I love firsthand accounts I I discuss stuff from all three of their episodes call and I'll, I'll discuss each of those episodes when they come up so um an article on U.S. Ghost Adventures website an article on rodentravel.com and an article on Legends of America So the history of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in West and West Virginia, it it started like most asylums and sanatoriums with the best of intentions. Um, The asylum was completed in 1864. Oh oh my god! Did you see my door open? No, I can't see your door. (sighs) Rue? Okay, alright. Oh, you scared me so bad. I, like, even knew that you were going to have that happen. He scared me so bad. Oh, okay. (sighs) All right. So, it started with the best of intentions. The asylum was completed in 1864, right after the end of the Civil War in Weston, West Virginia. It would remain open for 130 years until its closure in 1994. So, it was going on for quite some time it wasn't that long ago that it shut down it was built to hold 250 patients at a time and just get get this i i i'm not making this up it was made up of 13 buildings on 666 acres of land listen i don't i don't victim blame but like yeah come on you guys come on i was like you couldn't have at least done one more or one less building like you couldn't have just got one more one less acre a shed 14 uh, 14 buildings with a shed like come on guys the tool shed anything oh anyway so 13 buildings on 666 acres of land it was kind of destined to have some shit go down so the hospital was constructed according to the Kirkbride plan. So that's basically a design uh, created by a psychiatrist, Thomas uh, Kirkbride. That So it incorporated a lot of light, fresh air, and nature into the building. I don't know if you've seen pictures of like tuberculosis treatment uh, facilities or other ins- asylums. They're usually tall, but like really long, skinny buildings. So that it basically there's windows in every single room. You know, there's no room without windows. Anyway, it's also supposed to be, like, the best for patients and their recovery. Mm -hmm. So doorways were carefully positioned so that, when opened, sunlight would flood them. There were many open spaces where patients to gather, socialize, and eat, and the view from the windows showed only green, rolling landscape. Art therapy and performances were a big part of the hospital's culture, And some patients had fond memories of their time there. And this is a quote from one of them. I remember the Thanksgiving thing was great. We had great turkeys. And the Christmas thing was wonderful. It was like a fairy tale atmosphere. It's like, I must be in heaven. I'm not in a nut house. I'm in heaven. End quote. But, um... 
don't get too used to that because unfortunately that upbeat and positive atmosphere did not last very long. Of course not. So over the decades it remained open, the hospital started to become overcrowded. Mm-hmm. A place that was originally built to hold 250 patients had, by the 1950s, hit its peak of 2,600 patients at a time. I thought you were going to say something like 500. No, th- it is over 10 times what it was built for. 10 oh times. Gosh. This led to horrible sanitation and a lack of proper staff to tend to the patients. Overcrowding was also partially due to the incredible variety of reasons people could be admitted to this hospital. Jess, you're going to get a kick out of this. Can't wait. So some patients genuinely suffered from mental illnesses and did need treatment, but there were some, there were actually a shocking number of reasons why people could be admitted. And these are a few that were listed on the actual patient records. Asthma, rabies, tuberculosis. Wives who were insubordinate to their husbands. Naturally. Indigestion. Just novel reading. Hot. Grief. All of those things apply. Doubting. <laughs> doubting one's ancestry. Political and religious excitement. And, of course, being kicked in the head by a horse. <laughs> so, these are just a, f- a few out of, like, a list of, like, hundreds. Like, you could be put in there for anything. That being said, a man could literally admit his wife for any reason he wanted. So, like, if he had a mistress and he wanted to just start a new relationship and he, like, grew bored of her, he could just put her in that asylum claiming basically anything and she would be uh, a ward of the state for basically the rest of her entire life. Okay, if you're one of those people that are like, oh my gosh, I was born in the wrong generation. I should have been born in the 50s. You are wrong. You are incorrect. Yes, I, that's how I feel too. Times-wise, not the best. I, I just want to go like on a hike in the 1300s and just see what it was like. Yeah. Anyway, I don't want to interact with a single person. <sighs> All right, so if a mother was admitted, her children would come too. So some children were actually born within the hospital's walls and were actually raised there. Other children were dropped off in front of the hospital as orphans. So now you have this issue of not only overcrowding, but people and children who are mentally healthy being confined with potentially dangerous patients, like people admitted for murder and like actual serial killers. It's like the fucking Walmart of mental illness facilities. <laughs> you want you want to get you want to get some oil for an oil change while you're also getting popsicles. <laughs> it's just like a walmart super center (laughs) like you can go grocery shopping and clothes shopping at the same time oh my god okay that was probably one of the funniest things you've ever said all right (laughs) way to way to bring it round to something funny so but perhaps some of the darkest history comes from the medical treatment used on the patients Mm mm-hmm at this time, lobotomies, like, in, in, like, the 1940s, 50s, 60s, lobotomies were extremely popular. Walter Freeman was a lobotomist that came to the hospital. The current owner of the asylum, Rebecca Gleason, said that he performed over 100 in the building and on patients as young as four years old. <gasps> it's oh horrible. Oh, my gosh. 
And another source that I read said that up to 4,000 lobotomies could have been performed in the hospital alone. So I don't know if Rebecca was talking about he alone did 100 and maybe there were other people that did others to total it to 4,000 or Mm -hmm. if that source was just completely wrong. So in the very least, at least 100 lobotomies were performed and some of them on young children. They would literally line patients up outside the lobotomy room, like like you're in standing in a line for a ride, just to get their lobotomies, as each one only took three to four minutes to do. Free- Freeman would administer a shock, which knocked the patient out. Then, okay, um, trigger warning for a lobotomy. <laughs> uh, mo- I feel like most people probably know what it is, but uh, so... Mm-hmm. So then he would knock him out with shock, and then he'd go in through the top of the eyeball with, like, an ice pick-looking thing and, like, just liquefy their frontal lobe, um, which is in the brain. And, ugh, so, okay, basically, by liquefying the frontal lobe in the brain, you take away all emotion and personality and, essentially, all the behaviors that make up a mental illness, thus making, quote, the perfect patient. So. Patients actually had no say in the matter. If the staff thought you would, quote, benefit from it, they would do it. So you could be a wife that was admitted to this place because you didn't have sex with your husband and then you could get a lobotomy. Great. It It, it is it, absolutely insane. It's barbaric. I, I just... I, okay. Anyway, so... Other methods of quote-unquote treatment uh, were used on the patients. One such treatment was the wet pack, which was basically where they wrapped a person tightly in wet blankets and they would leave it on for a few days until it dried. When it dried, it would be so tight that patients felt as though they were suffocating or on fire because they were so hot and constricted. I could not imagine anything worse no. than experiencing that like i i could but i i choose not to in this moment it's and say, torture that is horrendous it's it's torture and i there are also a bunch of other horrible treatments quote unquote treatments that they did there um i won't go into all of them but some of them did include electroshock therapy isolation, having people in cages, and even insulin shock therapy, which literally put the patients into comas. (sighs) Okay, so that's all I'm going to go into kind of what they did to them. You can really guess the rest. It was not good, and it's really tragic. So from the opening of the facility in 1864 to its closure in 1994, over 20,000 people died. There are three graveyards on the property with over 2,100 people buried in them. These are the people who were not claimed by any family when they died. So, okay, actually, you know what? And I wasn't going to put this in here, but it's so messed messed up that the people that were buried because their families didn't claim them, all they got was a little headstone with just a number on it. They didn't even get a name or anything. It was just like, this is number 12, and... Okay, anyway. It's disgusting. Yeah. So, 
The inhumane treatment, neglect, and violence that occurred here during the 130 years this facility was being used has left a lasting imprint, causing this to be one of the most haunted places in the United States. Another reason it is so active might be because it is the largest hand-cut stone masonry building in North America. And this is a very interesting theory. There is a theory that certain stones, like sandstone, uh, which is the building is made up, can essentially record emotional and traumatic events. So that's called the stone tape theory. So you go to certain places that are built out of certain rocks and stones, yet there's like a lot of quartz in it. Energies could be trapped in these rocks. Anyway, okay, it's very interesting. I want you to just remember that for my story. Just on it. dick a pit in that. Okay. So since purchasing the property back in 2007, Rebecca Gleason has opened it uh, up for historical tours ghost hunters and paranormal researchers what was that face what just happened to you no why 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 do you need to go there why has it not just been raised yeah um yeah okay well now under the reason that we're all here which is the hauntings (gasps) am i allowed to google a picture of this place or is it too yes okay remind me what it is called all the way it is the Trans A L L E G H E N Y Lunatic Asylum. And I'm going to send you a quick photo also of the map of the property, kind of, so you get a general idea of like what it looks like. So I just texted that to you. Oh, I've watched a documentary about this place. <gasps> oh, I hate it. Ick. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, All right. So we'll post that on our uh, Instagram as well. So now the hauntings. So throughout the 13 buildings, people report being scratched and choked. Some hear disembodied screams and whispers, slamming doors and other unidentified noises. Others see shadow figures and objects moving on their own. But almost every person that enters the asylum reports intense feelings of sadness, fear, or nausea. Feelings of sadness are especially felt in the lobotomy recovery room and in the medical building. So there was, yeah. So there was one group of investigators that communicated with a spirit named Jane on the second floor. The spirit said she harmed herself and that's why she died. They told Rebecca, the owner, about this, and she was able to get her hands on some historic records that detailed the patients inside the asylum. She found that in the 1890s, there was a patient named Jane Harvey on the second floor who had taken her own life in one of the rooms there. Rebecca would not have ever known about Jane had the investigators not come into contact with her spirit. So that's just like an awesome classic example of like, proof coming after the interaction you know where it's like mm-hmm. they how could they make that up if they didn't even know she existed that kind of thing mm-hmm. so there is also one really sweet little girl ghost named lily she is the most famous spirit there she had spent her whole life in the asylum she was likely born by a patient in the hospital and unfortunately she did die there as a child She's a playful and friendly spirit who is known for her laughter, as well as her interest in playing games with the staff and visitors who pay her attention. If you roll a ball into her old room, it is said to roll back. One woman did this with her several times. 
Each time, an unseen force would roll the ball back across the room towards her. I really, really hope this was Lily's spirit and not something else just baiting the visitors because that is extremely likely. So, Oh, I hate it. As you mentioned that fact, I clicked, so I'm like looking at the Google pictures. I clicked on one of the pictures of a room with children's toys in it, including like a bunch of little balls. And I'm assuming that it's probably that room that they're referencing. Yeah. Ick. So that's by far the most innocent and sweet thing that you'll hear. Um, So now I'm going to tell you a bit about Ward F. This was the ward on, I think it was the third floor. Um. And it had the solitary confinement cells. It was originally designed to have seven seclusion rooms for the most violent male patients. Each room has heavy steel doors. And on the inside of the doors, you can actually see the damage from the patients that were locked inside. For example, there is a story about a patient who was a former boxer who suffered from head injuries during his career that left him violent and emotionless. He managed to beat down the metal door that isolated him, and he ended up ripping the door off of its hinges. When he finally got the door off, he handed it to one of the nurses and calmly returned to his room. To this day, you can actually see the dents he made in the steel door and the damage that was done to it. So, the rooms used most for isolation tend to have violent energies attached to them, with visitors reported being pushed or scratched, as well as disembodied voices saying, Get me out of here. Okay. Okay, now this is the trigger warning story. It's really, it's really upsetting. Um, I'll just let you guys know now, if you have problems with gore or basically patients picking on mentally handicapped people that's what this is about so it's 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 really bad but it 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 doesn't last long so so one of the saddest stories is from this same floor in the 80s two very violent patients were put in the same room with another man dean metheny who was by all accounts very kind and sweet but he would occasionally have violent outbursts which is what landed him there in the first place so Dean had the mental ability of a child and was last seen by nurses coloring on the floor. The night of the murder, the two violent men would hang him. They would hang him from a sheet tied to a pipe in the room until he became unconscious. And then they would lower him back down and they would basically repeat this until they became too worried that they would get caught. So they laid him on the floor and put a steel bedpost on his head. As one man held Dean down, the other jumped on the bed until the post touched the floor. So. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. Okay. That's as bad as it gets. Um, and also, interestingly enough, one of the men who killed him recently died. And since then, Rebecca says that there has been a black figure outside of the ward that wanders near that room. So she wonders if that's the spirit of the man coming back to the place where he brutally killed another man which implies that this place could be a portal which would make complete sense so mm-hmm. all right now i'm going to talk about one investigative show portals to hell <laughs> um Great. on discovery plus it's season one episode six with jack and katrina they seem to be the nicest and they actually had a whole moment where they communicated with dean and i it gave me chills so i kind of I I kind of focused on that for this. And so 
Man, um, I guess I'll start with saying they did bring a blindfolded psychic uh, named Michelle into the room uh, Dean was killed in, and she described seeing a little boy. She says to him, are you actually a little boy or are you just taking that shape? She says he's very quiet and not answering her, but didn't seem like a threat, even though he could occasionally have violent outbursts. She says he is crawling around like a kid or dragging himself around almost like his legs aren't working. Mm. And she's blindfolded this whole time. So she's just seeing this in her mind's eye. And she also sees something. What the fuck was that? It was me dropping something. I'm sorry. Jess. <sighs> She also sees something hanging from the ceiling and then describes the body on the floor. And so the two investigators dismiss her. So, I mean, you guys take that as you will, as a grain of salt. I thought it was interesting, but anyway. So the two investigators dismiss her and then they go back into Dean's room and place a bunch of toys around a device called the REM pod. Basically, this is uh, device is like a puck looking thing with a little light on the top of it. Mm-hmm. It senses changes in the electro in the electromagnetic field around it, and spirits can supposedly manipulate that energy, causing it to go off. It it won't go off if you get close to it or if you touch it, nothing like that. It's only in the electromagnetic field around it. Mm-hmm. So paranormal investigators use it to ask questions to spirits, and the REM pod lighting up and making noise is considered an intelligent response. Mm-hmm. So they they set this up and put the toys all around it, and the device starts making noises. They ask, Dean, is that you? And the noises increase in intensity, and then it stops. They tell him to light up the REM pod and make it beep as a yes and do nothing as a no. All right. These are all quotes. Did you die in this room? The device beeps once. Are you still scared? There's no beeps. Do you know the people that killed you? It beeps three times. Chuckling, Jack says, it's a fun toy, isn't it? It beeps quickly in succession. Do you like having us to talk to and play with? It beeps multiple times quickly. And then the female investigator gets up and she says, I'm going to try something, okay? And she goes to grab something on the other side of the room and the device beeps twice as if saying, okay. Like, I don't know. That's just what I heard in my head. It goes beep, Mm -hmm. beep. Like, I don't know. And so she brings back a paper mache mask that was made by one of his murderers. And places it directly next to the REM pod. Dean, do you know who this belonged to? Silence. Do you know who this is? Silence. Dean, did we scare you? Can you come back? He's not here. He can't hurt you. If we take this away, will you come talk to us? And again, just silence. So Katrina picks it up and takes it away. As she's walking back, she says, we put that away so he can't hurt you. And it immediately beeps multiple times. So the two investigators then talk to each other just in complete amazement about like what they're receiving from the REM pod. And the entire time they're talking, it is silent because they're not asking any direct questions. Then one of them says to the other, Part of me feels that spirits stick around because they weren't recognized or heard when they were alive, and maybe getting that acknowledgement will help them move on. And the device beeps once, hopefully confirming that that is true. I hope that his spirit gets to leave that place and move mm-hmm. on. So, Me too. 
They leave the REM pod in that room, and as they are walking down the hallway, they turn back towards the room and ask Dean to walk or crawl across the hall so his shadow can be captured by another device. As Katrina says, can you do that for me? The REM pod in the room they just left starts going off like crazy, and behind them in the hallway, a door shuts. So. Oh my god. Okay, so that's that on that. Now I'm going to tell you a bit about the fourth floor. Great. It is the... (laughs) It is the most active area in the asylum. Lots of touching, lots of scratches. Uh, a woman named Valerie A. Myers is a paranormal tour guide there, and she was leading a tour in Ward T, which is where alcoholics used to receive treatment. All of a sudden, her back starts burning. Down her spine was a long red scratch that apparently lasted for four days. On this um, episode of Portal to Hell, the one I just talked about, you you can actually see a picture of it. They post a picture of it when they're interviewing her. So the next night, she was up there again, leading another tour, when she felt a similar burning on her arm. She shines her flashlight on her arm, and her and the other person with her watched as three welts appeared where she felt this pain. Oh my god. She's also seen a black mass on the ceiling with what she describes as a tentacle reaching out towards her. That entity has actually been seen by multiple people, but it's usually on the fourth floor, so it hangs out up there. Um, Nope. No, thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now I'm going to talk about another paranormal investigative team that came in. Um, They're called Paranormal Lockdown. And (laughs) season one, uh, these are all on Discovery Plus, by the way. Season one, episode one, their names are Nick and Katrina. So the owner, Rebecca, is giving them a daytime tour of the property and allows them to be the first group to investigate inside of the woman's auxiliary building, which is on the map that I I showed you. It is one of the oldest on the property and is also in terrible condition, hence why she usually doesn't let people go inside. But immediately upon entering... Nick sees someone standing in a doorway down the hall, and then they disappear. So they walk over to where he saw this figure and start asking questions. He is holding his EVP recorder, um, which is a very small, sensitive voice recorder that can pick up frequencies and noises humans can't hear. So he holds this up, and he asks, Was there somebody standing in that room over there? Did I just see you? There's a pause, and then Katrina asks, Do you know that you're dead? They play back the EVP recorder, and after Nick asks, did I just see you, you hear, yes. And after Katrina asks, do you know that you're dead, you hear, no. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. To be honest, that actually makes me really sad. Um, Yeah. It makes me real sad. So anyway, and remember, this is in broad daylight. So they're obviously, like, pretty stoked to come back during the night, which I would not share that sentiment. Um, no. But they were very excited. So they returned to this building at night what? to conduct a more thorough inve- investigation with a device that kind of looks like an old-fashioned radio with a huge antenna. It's called the Geobox. Mm-hmm. It is able to pick up on voices that sounds uh, and sounds the human ears can't hear. But unlike the EVP recorder, it plays... <laughs> just shrinking um but unlike the evp recorder it plays immediately so you can hear it in real time so 
They set it up and ask someone to come forward and speak to them. They hear a woman's voice come through and say, Hello? The investigators ask, Do you want to talk to us? Then a male voice comes through the device and says, Don't say a word. As if telling the female spirit not to talk. So, one investigator tells the female spirit not to listen to the male spirit and to come and talk, to which the same male voice comes through and says, no. Okay, but just real fast, sorry to interrupt, but I can't imagine being dead and men are still telling me what I can and can't do. (laughs) Yes, to break that tension. I, apparently the audacity doesn't die with the male body. So anyway. No. So after he says, no, they ask, why can't she talk to us? The same male spirit again responds and says, I'm telling you. Okay, so I wonder if he was saying that to the investigators or to the female spirit, like, basically warning her, like, I'm telling you, don't talk to them, you know? Yeah. I don't know. So, then the investigator (laughs) Katrina says, if you guys can say my name, Katrina, I'll leave you and I won't ask her to keep talking. To which the box responds, Katrina. (laughs) (laughs) In the same male voice, by the way, so... Naturally. Yeah, of course. Okay. So, I'm going to wrap this up with the two scariest stories. <laughs> okay. Um, And I have things to show slash make you listen to for both of them. Oh, my God. Do I have okay. to? <laughs> um, uh, I'll give you the choice, but I would highly recommend you do. Um, okay. I will. I will. Okay. So, this is another... One of the paranormal investigative shows, Destination Fear, um, season two, episode twelve. Are you? I am. I, oh. I I listen. I'm a big Discovery Plus lady. Oh, I didn't know you. But Destination Fear, I feel like is like the is like the most. I anyway, feel like it used um, to be on the Travel Channel. It, it is on the Travel Channel. It, it's yeah. like the same channel as Ghost Adventures. I also could not find a Ghost Adventures episode here, which was very unusual. That is very interesting. Okay. So, basically, there are four young investigators all in their 20s, and they split up. So, two are in one location in the building, and two are in another. All of a sudden, one investigator, Alex, his phone starts ringing really loud, which is a surprise since he thought he had silenced it. He pulls out his phone, and it says Tanner was calling, which is the name of one of the other investigators on the other side of the property. Alex answers it on speakerphone, wondering what Tanner wanted, and was greeted with the weird, static, hissing, and shuffling noise. This call lasts about 15 seconds before it hangs up on the other end. Confused and thinking Tanner just pocket-dialed them, Alex and his companion call over on the walkie-talkie and ask why Tanner just called him. To their surprise, Tanner says he doesn't have his phone. He left it in the lobby of the main building with all the other equipment. And that's when, to their horror, Alex's phone starts ringing again. It's Tanner. They answer it, and this time hear an awful, inhuman screeching noise on the other end. After about 30 seconds, the call drops again. Horrified, the four of them meet up and run to where Tanner's phone was in the main lobby. To their horror, his phone was now dead. And Jess... I recorded a little bit of what that noise sounded like because of course describing it doesn't do it justice. <laughs> um, 
I've heard podcasts that are super famous play little things like this and they're fine. So I don't think we'll get in trouble, but this is a 10 second clip of it. The second phone call where they heard the horrible screeching noise. Um, Yeah, I'll just, let's see. That was just a little. Did you hear it? Okay. Oh, I heard it just fine. Thank you very much for asking. Um, I will be <laughs> spending the night at your house on Friday night. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Well, that was again. That was just like 10 seconds of it. It kind of goes on. It's very scary. Um. Okay. And so, but to me, this is very credible because they all seemed genuinely terrified. Yeah. Like it did not seem like they were acting. And also spirits are known to drain the battery from devices in order to use that energy to manifest themselves. Yeah. And so if this were the case, the spirit would need all of its energy to use the phone to call Alex. So literally one of the scariest things I've ever heard. But all right. This is my very last paragraph, Jess. Okay. okay. I'm going to send you a link to a video. Okay. Uh, this video is called Shocking Creeper Entity Caught on Video. Hmm. And so, Jess, this was uh, from footage caught from the Paranormal Lockdown um, episode. They're the same ones that had that talked to that male spirit that was interrupting the female. So this is the, towards the end of that episode. Okay. Okay. So before you click on it, I'll give you a little intro to it. And I would like to preface this by saying this is one of the scariest things I've ever seen in my life. So it was captured towards the end of the paranormal lockdown episode. The cameraman was filming the two investigators as they explored the fourth floor when suddenly he sees something on the floor behind them. He's the only one with a camera, so the investigators can't see what he is seeing. He tries to describe it to them as something like a snake or a lizard slithering across the floor. He plays back the footage for them, and they finally see it. And it is very scary. So, click on the link I sent you, and I would start watching it 2 minutes and 33 seconds, because on that final replay, I think they enhance the brightness a little bit, and it's a lot easier to see. Okay, 2 minutes and 30 seconds? 33, yeah, that's perfect. Oh my god. Uh 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 uh. No, thank you. Why does it look like that? Did you see it raise its arm and pull itself across the floor? Yes, Allison, I did. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So as you just saw, it starts as a white blob in the hallway behind them, and it starts literally dragging itself across the floor. Right before it goes through the doorway, you can see it prop itself up on an arm and pull itself forward with either a leg or a tail dragging behind it. Part of me thought, could it be Dean's spirit? Because the psychic said that he crawled or like his legs didn't work. Maybe. But if not, it's terrible. And Jess, that is my story for you tonight. 
of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum and the many spirits that haunt it. And for those of you that want to watch the thing that I just made her watch, it's called Shocking Creeper Entity Caught on Camera by Destination America. And yeah, go watch it. It's scary. It's really scary. So anyway, thank you. I hated every minute of that. Yeah. That, that is so terrifying. No. No. Okay. Also, the fact that these are places are like now in disrepair and that like there's just some woman named Rebecca who just owns it, that she's just like, yeah, I'll just dole out these paranormal experiences. Like, does she just go hang out on the property? No. Is she just like friends with the ghosts? Like, no, no, she's not. Um, she, it's so funny. She's in like literally all of these episodes being interviewed. She just, it's really funny seeing her in all of these different episodes. But no, she, she goes in there and maybe does tours herself, but she wants to be in there alone as much as me and you would want to be in there alone. She bought it. Because it's, like, a historical property, and I think she, she bought it with her dad, and I think they really want to, like, renovate it and fix it up. They wanted to preserve it, I think, and it's it's has historical importance, and um, I want to say maybe uh, the hauntings are the cherry on top of just a horrifying Sunday, so. <sighs> cool. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> Wow, that was a lot. Allison, I appreciate your thorough research. I appreciate you watching all these videos that I could not bring myself to watch. I used to watch Ghost Hunters as like a little, little kid and I loved it. I was so into it. But as an adult now, I it gives me so much anxiety that these people are just putting themselves in danger, okay? It's spooky. I also probably should not have watched Asylum American Horror Story because I think that that ruined any sort of like scary thing for me going forward and i still have nightmares about that show to this day so i just don't do well with asylums so thank you so much when you texted me earlier and said you're gonna hate my story you're not wrong yeah mm -hmm. but i i thought you might so as always appreciate the dedication to the craft Mm -hmm. thank you um thank you i again i like last night i could barely sleep every single night for as long as i can remember i have to like go pee in the middle of the night i refused to leave my bedroom last night i just held it and that's not something i've done in quite some time so that's how that's how uh bad it how bad it was that's how scared i was anyway you were like i'm establishing a pee corner (laughs) for real i'm gonna go get more of my drink it the cocktail i made um serves four so i'm going to just bring the whole thing down here i love it i'm also gonna get another drink Alrighty, I have a fresh drink. My heart rate is slowly returning to normal. And I will say, Allison, that was very scary. I think you did a very good job. For the people who are cowering in their cars or wherever they're listening to this, mine is so much less scary. So. (laughs) I think it's good to end on that. I I, uh, agree. (laughs) I have my cocktail made for four people i just brought the whole jug down here so i will be sipping on that throughout the story i can't wait let's hear it i love that i made another ghost on the rocks it's a little bit stronger this time on accident so here we go Alrighty, folks 
As those of you who have been listening to this podcast since episode one will undoubtedly know, I loathe two things in this world. Airplanes and caves. (laughs) (laughs) I could not find a good haunted airplane. Hmm. So the cave thing, that shit's not going away. I've come around a little bit on the airplane thing. The cave thing, though. Never, ever, 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 ever going away. I will always hate caves. Nothing is more abhorrent to me than the concept of a tunnel just chilling out under the ground that we know very little about. Not my vibe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm a deeply claustrophobic person, and spelunking seems like the opposite of fun to me. Pitch black, likelihood of death. You would have been a terrible miner. I, listen, I would not have made, made it one day. All right. If I was in like a cave-in accident and I ended up in the bottom of the mine, I it would just it would be over for me. I'd no, be like back in yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say back in the old days, Jess, you would have thrived as the housewife and teacher. You would have been like fuck women's rights. I don't want equality if it means I have to go down there. <laughs> no, seriously, I would have been like I'll teach them the one room schoolhouse and you guys can all sexually objectify me if it means I don't have to go into the mines. So naturally. Because it is spooky season, I decided to really ruin caves for myself as thoroughly as possible and tell you about a haunted fucking cave. Yes! Allison, a haunted cave. It could not get worse. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -mm. So, this week, I will be telling you about the world's most widely documented haunted cave that is located in Mammoth Cave National Park, which is in good old Kentucky, USA. So Kentucky's fucked. Kentucky is absolutely fucked. When you said that yours was in West Virginia, I got like a little bit nervous for a second because I was like, West Virginia and Kentucky are near each other, but different, very different. So I almost said Waverly, sorry, I almost said Waverly Hill Sanatorium, which I'm pretty sure is in Kentucky. And I was actually going to do that one because they have an entity there called the Creeper, which is really fucking scary. And then when I was trying to look that up, I found that video, the really horrible one I showed you from Transylvania and I was like I have to show her this video so that's why I did that so they both were almost in Kentucky oh my gosh my sources today are obviously the Wikipedia page on Mammoth Cave National Park the nationalparktraveler.org article on Mammoth Cave National Park harbors more ghost stories a article from Cult of the Weird an article from a website called The Little House of Horrors on their firsthand experiences with hauntings in the cave. And I also listened to a podcast called Mammoth Cave Hauntings by the Matt and Karen Travel Podcast. It was great. They're a cute little couple that just do travel podcasts, and they did one on this, and it was really fascinating because they went and did a bunch of the tours, and so it was like first-hand accounts of the tour guide stuff on the haunting so that was really fun um and then i'm going to send you allison a article and i'm mostly sending it to you because it has it's like one of those like listicle picture articles so there's a lot of pictures of the cave and some of the haunted scary parts of it so i'm just sending this to you for your reference if i can get my messages app to open up you know, Jess, the nice thing about haunted caves is that, like, you have to actively choose to go in a cave. Yes, exactly. Um, So you... I will never... Because, like, a building... 
you will go in buildings, you will be in hotels, you will be in homes. Mm -hmm. But a cave is so distanced from daily life that I feel like it's much safer you have to not to be as terrified. Go out of your way to go to this cave. So mm -hmm. the my last two sources are two YouTube videos that I didn't really use these guys. They were just entertaining and I feel like it's worth shouting out. Um, from cool dads trying to scare their kids. Uh, it was really cute. Aww, so cute. Anyway. Wow, this, yeah, this place looks insane. Ooh, what is that, like, little hut in there? Oh, Allison, we have some common threads in our stories. Tuberculosis being one. But <laughs> yeah. we'll get in here. Wait, in a cave? Okay, I guess I'll explain that. All right, let's go. <sighs> All right, I'm not going to bury the lead here. This cave has everything going on. There are shark ghosts. There are ancient civilization burial grounds. There are white people being shitty. There are inexplicable <laughs> lights, specters, tuberculosis cabins, and uh -huh. so much more. You name it, this cave system has it. You had me at shark ghost, sister. Oh my gosh. I thought that you would enjoy that little tidbit. I sure do. So the other thing, Allison, that I will say there is a lot of archaeology happening in this cave. So part of the reason that I picked this story, there were two haunted caves I could have gone with. This one was more fun because there's a lot of archaeology in it. So I thought you'd oh, enjoy good. it. So okay, thanks. I'm going to start us off with a little bit of cave history before we dive into some specific story encounters. Jess, you're so much nicer than me. I picked something I knew you would absolutely hate. And you're like, what's something she would just love? Like, you are just such a good friend i didn't know what you'd hate that's the thing is when it comes to this subject i was like there's oh. nothing i can do that you'd hate so uh, that's that's fair that's fair okay 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 i feel less bad now okay sorry cave history okay so cave history all right miss mammoth is really doing the most <laughs> so <laughs> located in west central kentucky mammoth cave is the site of the longest cave system known in the world the cave system has 420 miles of surveyed passageways and even more of unsurveyable tunnels Ooh. it's nearly twice as long as the second longest cave systems which is located in mexico and that cave system is completely underground and i will say there's a creepy thing about that cave system it's not like as haunted but when divers die in the cave, there's this narrow passage that they have to be pulled through. And you can see the lines where their fingers have brushed because it does it, the water doesn't move. So you can, like, see the lines where their, like, hands have brushed. Wait, like lines on the rocks? Like lines on the rock because there's sediment and it's a completely still underground cave cool. system. Cool. So. Cool. <laughs> anyway. That's, I hate that. That's the, I hate that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That one was more just like tragic deaths and less haunting. So we went with this one. <laughs> but yeah. So that's the second longest cave system located in Mexico that's completely underwater. But our lady in question, Mammoth Cave National Park, which only covers a portion of the larger cave, was founded on July 1st, 1941. Since then, she's earned some protections, including as a biosphere reserve in the 90s. What is a biosphere reserve, you may be asking yourself, Allison? Well. <laughs> Jess, what's a biosphere reserve? Thank you. Yeah. Even though you probably do not care, I'm going to tell you all about it. To quote the University of California, quote, representing the world's major ecosystems, biosphere reserves provide study ecosystems for the United Nations Man and the Biosphere Program. The program employs science to harmonize relationships between people and their environments. 
The goal is to improve human livelihoods while safeguarding natural ecosystems. Biosphere reserves encourage research into biodiversity loss, climate change, environmental monitoring, and sustainable development. This work develops solutions relevant to local cultures and environments. End quote. Webster's Dictionary defines <laughs> biospheres. <laughs> I just, you know what? They had a great definition. We're going to get into why I think this is relevant, okay? I promise okay. there's a reason. Oh, no, I'm here for it. You called mine the Walmart of all asylums. So. <laughs> well, this is the Walmart of all caves, okay? So. All right. Ooh. She just finished her picture. We love to see it. There's a little bit left, but I'm going to. So mammoth being a protective biosphere is fascinating because, unlike many national parks and natural wonders, humans have been interacting with and using the cave for well over five to 6,000 years. The remains mm. of Native Americans were found in the cave throughout the 19th and 20th century. Most of these remains were mummified and clearly intentionally buried in the cave as a communal gravesite oh. using practices predating any European contact. I've studied this. <gasps> I learned about this. I remember, wasn't there one? It was like a teenage girl or something. Yes. She was like curled up. Yes. And they had like buried her. They found like artifacts around mm -hmm. her. Like it's one of the earliest yes. shown. So let me just hijack this from you. It's no, like one of the earliest shown um, acts of like religious ceremony. Uh huh. She was buried as an adult, even though she was a teenager, which was something that was like oh, a yeah. really big deal. I don't have this in here, but. Was this also the same cave where they found evidence that placed humans in North America thousands of years earlier than they yes. previously thought? Yes. <gasps> oh, I'm passing the test. Okay. You are. You are. I am now oh, vaguely. I... Oh, sorry. I was so excited. Go okay. Ahead. Ahead. See, look, I knew you'd have a lot of fun with this. So this is why I'm going into the history so annoyingly in depth. So uh, let's see. Most of these remains were mummified and clearly intentionally buried in the cave as communal grave sites using practices predating any European contact. They've even found a pre-Columbian body of a Native American miner of some sort who was trapped under a rock and had perished. The archaeologist who found him named him Lost John and put the part of the cave where his body was found on display as an attraction until the 19th 70s when his remains were finally interred out of political pressure to do the fucking right thing yes yeah. so this cave has so i will say this cave post the european invasion has a lot of white people being shitty so just we're really good at that fair fair warning a lost john is actually like kind of one of the sadder cases his body because it was put on display for so long, like, a lot of the archaeological evidence that they could have pulled from it was, like, corrupted. And luckily, they did, after a lot of political pressure, they were able to give back his body to one of the local tribes. Um, I don't remember which tribe it was. It was either the Shawnee or the Cherokee Indians. But, um, but yeah, there was a lot of very famous mummies pulled out of these caves that were mummified in what these articles compared to the Egyptian style of mummification. So very religious, like proof that they held this cave in a lot of like religious, sacred, whatever sure. you want to call it. Esteem. Esteem. Thank you. I lost that word. Appreciate it. So 
Archaeologists have been able to study these remains and artifacts to determine a ton about the transition of these people from hunters and gatherers to agricultural-based societies. But what's crazy is that despite extensive evidence of cave usage dating back 5,000 years, it suddenly stops at the 5,000-year mark, and there is zero evidence as to why people suddenly started using it so heavily and why when there's no evidence of any use before then. So it basically went from, like, no use to, like, a ton of use and they have no clue why are they are sorry are you talking about no use from humans or because like yeah or are they talking okay because maybe humans hadn't discovered it yet is that okay to say i don't know i probably they from everything that i read they didn't have a definitive scientific reason as to why they think humans and or humanoid creatures were not using it prior to then because it goes from like absolutely no use to like i said very extensive proof of use because allison Parts of the cave, the main parts, are a sandstone-style cave. (gasps) So it holds on to a lot of archaeological Mm. evidence and paranormal evidence, apparently, according to your little sandstone theory. Stone tape theory, Beach. Speaking of stones, the reason that I called my cocktail Ghost on the Rocks is because I'm doing a rock ghost podcast, so archaeologists have been able to determine diets and cultural practices for a lot of these mummies and it's been a boom in understanding the regional activities of the ancient tribes in the area preserved by the constant cave environment dietary evidence yielded carbon dates enabling researchers and others to determine the age of the specimens oh my gosh so i love radiocarbon dating (laughs) they also were able to determine the relative content of the plant and meat in the diet of either culture Mm -hmm. over a period spanning several thousand years Mm -hmm. um so you know some very cool stuff i wasn't gonna add that in but i just i know that you're just loving it so no i am thank you (laughs) i literally wrote an entire like 10 page paper on um the teeth of ancient egyptians And how that shows their uh, status in society because you can see the wear on the teeth and you can tell what they ate. Uh, it's very interesting. I and so same it. goes with this. And even like undigested like things in the stomach. Okay, Allison, shut up. Sorry. Sorry, shut up. Okay. Sorry. Jess, please continue on your story before I like talk about <laughs> something else. We are almost done with the archaeological part. So I will release you from this excitement shortly. But okay. what this does mean is that there's a shit ton of people buried in this cave. So haunted. Additionally, the cave has a very specific mineral inside of it called saltpeter, which was used in gunpowder throughout the 18th and 19th centuries. Because of this, the cave was a hotbed for passing hands, particularly in times of war. Many families used it as a tourist attraction when it wasn't actively being used as a mine, particularly after the mummies started turning up. Surveys began to see how large the cave was, and it quickly grew to international fame in the 19th century. Locals began what's known as the Kentucky Cave Wars, which is the funniest thing I've ever heard, over parts (laughs) of the cave and its resources. Explorers rushed to find more of the cave to claim, and naturally, many people died in the process. Finally, as mentioned previously, the main part of the cave was placed under national protection in 1941 when it became a national park, much to the locals' displeasure. Since then, much of the cave has been surveyed and turned into a tourist attraction. It's currently being run by a park superintendent named Barclay Trimble. No, I am not making that up. You go, Barclay. You go. (laughs) 
Well, it sounds like a, someone's like weird pet name. Like they gave their Truly. dog. Wow. Truly. So now that you have kind of a tiny slice of history on the cave, let's get into the haunted shit. Okay. I'm sorry. Sorry. In my head, Barkley Trimble is an iguana that wears a lot of different hats. Like, they put him in hats. Like, that is... And they call him, like, Sir Barkley Trimble. And they, like, edit in Photoshop, like, a little monocle on him. Like, that is the image that came to my head. Honestly, honestly, vividly. having read about some of the people associated with this cave, it could be an iguana running this cave system. The iguana would know more than me so well i don't know you know about egyptian teeth patterns so but when in my life will i ever use this information that's the issue right now in a podcast fair enough all right okay so there are more than 150 well-documented paranormal encounters in the cave mostly from rangers and researchers who spent much of their working lives inside of it if you're interested little sidebar In reading more of these encounters than I'll be able to cover today, there is a lovely book titled Scary Stories of Mammoth Cave by two of the rangers who worked there. So, a little cute cute self-published moment. I'm sure it's on Amazon. I did not look into it. But, anywho, I'm going to take you through a few. As I said at the beginning, mine are much less scary than Allison's. It's more... These ghosts have more of a playful attitude. We'll just put it that way. So, my first story. The most famous haunted story in Mammoth surrounds its most enthusiastic explorer, a formerly enslaved cave guide named Stephen Bishop. Stephen is lauded by the National Park Service as, quote, one of the greatest explorers Mammoth Cave has ever known, end quote. He had a unique ability to stay calm no matter the situation, and his knowledge of the cave was unparalleled. His owner, however, was a bit of a nutcase. <laughs> Dr. Krogan, who came into ownership of the cave in 1939, had a grand idea that the cave and its constant 54-degree temperature would be ideal for treating consumption, also known as tuberculosis. <clears throat> And the stuffy nature, like, you could not contain a disease more. It's quite literally the stupidest idea anybody's ever had. He had 11 huts built inside the cave, and 16 patients came to reside inside the cave, Allison. As you mentioned in your story, tuberculosis was most traditionally treated in very sunny, very light places with a lot of airflow. The opposite of a cave. <laughs> These people were called his quote consumptive colony. Quote. Oh my god. <laughs> and it was a complete failure for so many reasons. These people were living inside the cave. So the hut the picture that I sent you of the hut, somebody somebody with tuberculosis was living in that hut. No. Of that's horrible. The 16 patients Five of them died in the first five months from the constant coolness of the air and the smoke created by cooking inside of the caves. Dr. Krogan himself died of tuberculosis only 10 years (laughs) after purchasing the cave. (laughs) Did he live in the cave too? I think so. (laughs) This is such a fucking dumbass. (laughs) Okay, so then here's the thing. He so meanwhile he's over here trying to be treat tuberculosis cave citizens. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Stephen Bishop, who is just running the cave basically, is 
busy discovering 20 miles of the cave. He discovers a couple species. He's just out here, like, guiding tours, getting it done. Meanwhile, his owner is like, don't mind me, I'm catching my literal death. So... Uh, I hate the term his owner. It's so I know. fucked up. I know. It's well, and what's crazy? It's so gross. He came with the cave. So when Doctor Krogan oh my- purchased the cave, he, the purchase came with six slaves, including Stephen. But what is really cool is that, like I said, Stephen Bishop is very much a lauded historical figure of this national park and the national park association um has like a whole tribute to him so i i mean the slave shit is not good but he was recognized for his achievements following his that makes me feel that makes me feel better and his owner got what was coming to him yes and he quite literally because he couldn't escape because he was in a fucking cave he was Um, literally just like in a tuberculosis echo chamber (laughs) Like a plane full of people with tuberculosis. Literally. So the remains of these tuberculosis cabins are still in the cave today and you can go see them. Most famously, there is a slab of stone where the dead bodies of these consumption patients were laid after they were removed from their huts. It's known as corpse rock because (laughs) why would it not be? With all due respect to these five people who died, why would it not be? Corpse rock. Ooh. Okay. However, many visitors and rangers have reported eerie sounds of coughing on and around the area of the rock. Ooh. Like, tons of visitors. If you go and you spend enough time by the rock, you will hear the sounds of coughing. I know. I don't like it. I I know. I hate it. (laughs) So aside from the creepy fucking coughing rock, Stephen Bishop, who died in 1856, only a year after gaining his freedom, was buried along with his fellow slave guides in a cemetery just outside the cave. Current rangers have reported seeing Stephen Bishop's likeness joining their tour groups and, quote, checking up on the new guides to ensure they're doing their jobs. One time... Two park guides were taking a group through the chief city room when a woman said, quote, who is that up there among the rocks, unquote. The guides looked where the woman was pointing and saw a man holding a lantern atop a formation called Sacrifice Rock. The man wore a long sleeve shirt and an old droop style hat like that worn by slave guides. While non-believers claim it was created by cave shadows, the whole group reported seeing the specter from multiple angles. And honestly, I kind of like knowing that these guides are staying behind beyond the crave to make sure these tourists are safe and getting a good education on their tours. Are you talking about like the slave guides? Yeah. So the big, the famous one is Stephen Bishop, but there are other guides that have been reported to have been seen. But Stephen Bishop seems to be the one that's around the most. But I really do like most of these ghost stories are kind of tenderhearted like that. Like I really like this idea that like Stephen Bishop who discovered like huge parts of this cave and spent his whole life like showing people basically all these rocks and like weird little albino creatures that he discovered that he loves. Mm -hmm. And he's just like chilling, hanging out. He like goes on tours with people. He's been reported to like hang out by the tour guides, like at the front of the group, like people see him everywhere. So gives me Steve Irwin energy. No, quite literally. He's like the Steve Irwin of this mammoth cave. I love that. 
So I feel so safe knowing he was there. I know, right? So when I said that these were like not as scary as yours, what I'm meaning is that my ghosts are all like for the most part heartwarming. So very wholesome. Thank you so much. I'm gonna sleep a lot better tonight because of this. I'm so glad. I'm already feeling like better in my soul. Along with Bishop, many tourists and guides have seen the ghosts of the slaves who worked and died in the mine when the cave was used for gunpowder in the War of 1812. From what I could find, none of these spirits were violent, but appeared to be residual hauntings from the grueling life deep inside the caverns. So it's mostly people walking around corners and seeing glimpses of these people and feeling kind of the residual energy of the miners. So... Those are kind of some of the the slave ghost stories. The next one I have is currently, Allison, there are several tours that you can take within the cave. And while all of them are pretty creepy, none of them are quite as terrifying as the Violet City Lantern Tour. (gasps) On this tour, park rangers give park visitors an idea of what it was like to visit the cave before there were light bulbs and flashlights. Oh, fuck that. I know. Rangers call this part of their program a blackout. So, Allison, imagine with me, if you will. I don't want to. You decide to take a road trip to Kentucky to see the biggest ass cave in the world. You, being who you are, see that there is a tour down, quote, one of the creepiest hikes in the U.S., end quote. Okay. And pay $15 to go on this little two-mile tour. At one point, your tour guide says to you, quote, I'm going to turn off all of the lights except the single kerosene lamp to show you what it was like to work here before electricity. The cave suddenly grows colder than it already was as the guide plunges you into darkness. A single lantern is lit, and the guide begins to speak in low tones about the harsh working conditions and the men and women who lost their lives in the cave. Suddenly, you feel a shove from behind, but when you turn... No one is there in the shadowy darkness. You turn back only to feel the shove again and again. (gasps) No. Finally, the guide turns the lights back on and you desperately look around hoping to see a prankster kid. To your dismay, all you see are fellow adults looking just as scared and confused as you are. And that, my friend, is, is a recounting of what many visitors and guides alike have experienced during these tours. Seasoned rangers say they have been shoved playfully by an unseen force. They have heard footsteps and turned to see no one there. They have been grabbed or touched in the darkness when there were no other people nearby, all while in the mostly dark cave lit only by kerosene. Absolutely vile. I would actually still probably do it. I'm not going to lie. But the thing is, is they're playful. Like, all of these are described as playful entities. Okay, sure. But... My my game plan, as soon as this guy – and I, I kind of imagine going in by myself. I'm not going to lie because, like, that's just who I am. I'm literally mm-hmm. traveling to New Orleans by myself next month. Yeah. And I'm going to go on ghost tours. That's I don't care. I, that's how I wrote the scenario is that you were by yourself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're just, like, at home. I'll Skype you later. Um, I'll FaceTime you. Anyway, I envision me in this tour group alone with, a, you know, maybe 13 other people. And the second he turns off his kerosene lamp, all of my instincts kick in. I grab the hand of the nearest man and throw him behind me as a sacrifice to whatever spirit wants to touch my back. And I hold him there, making him think I am, oh, but a wee helpless woman traveling alone, when in reality I'm using him as a human shield. And I say that without any remorse, (laughs) any remorse. 
but I would appreciate the experience. They wouldn't, yeah. but I sure would. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, if this is any, uh, you know, additional creepiness, you have to take a cave elevator to get down to this tour. So you'd also have that added bonus experience of an elevator underground, which I could not think of anything worse. So just here's the thing. I dug a literal human grave. I know I am you did. here for I know experiences you and experiences only. But an underground I would do cave. something once. Listen, I would do it. I would do something once and say, cool, I'm never going to do that again, but I'm so glad I did it. But I, I, I completely understand and respect your opinion, by the way. I would not fault you one bit for being like, I'm going to go wait at the hotel. I hate elevators just as elevators are. So I just, I am too claustrophobic to be in a cave. I understand. I would go, I would go to the mouth of the cave. I would, I would explore the mouth. I have a nice packed lunch outside. I have been into a mine twice. Okay. It was like deep into a mine, like an abandoned mine. Horrific. I also, if I'm in the right mood, I like, I'm down. I really am. I just have to think about it a little bit. So you are, you very much are. On a less creepy note, during one blackout in this little tour, a guy noticed a black family standing behind the rest of the group. The ranger recalled being a bit surprised to see them since he hadn't noticed any black tourists in this group. The ranger noted that the father, who wore a white Panama hat, was watching the other ranger talk with rapt attention. When (gasps) When the ranger turned the electric lights back on, he looked for the black family but couldn't find a single African American on the tour. I know. I have chills. I have chills. The room where the ranger saw the mysterious black family is called the Methodist Church because miners once held religious services there. During those days, if a black guy and his family attended the services, it was customary for them to stand back at a distance from the whites in the group. <sighs> I know. I When I said that this cave had white people being shitty, I was not kidding. Most places do. But what yeah. I find really interesting is the majority of these ghost stories are about these black people who seem to have a lot of love for the cave coming back to like re-experience its joys well they're the only people that actually matter why would you know the people the white settlers who stole that cave why would their spirits stay there when they only wanted it for money in their Mm -hmm. current life Mm -hmm. it makes complete sense that the people that actually care about it would be there in the afterlife i would much rather see them than fucking i picture him to be Who's the guy that is like the face of KFC? Colonel Colonel Cluckster? I don't know. <laughs> it's not it. Um the Colonel. The- I think he's just called the Colonel. <sighs> okay. Whatever. Him. I picture this guy to look just like him. Yeah. I don't want to see that fucking face in the darkness. Can you imagine? I would much rather see the face of somebody who actually cared about it. And so yeah. it, I it makes sense that their spirits would be there. Mm-hmm. I like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, another famous ghost that's made its home in the cave is that of Floyd Collins. So, prior to its public land protection in 1941, the cave was owned privately by several people. Because there's, like, a lot of entrances to this cave. It's a whole system. So, part of the reason there was so much drama when the cave was turned into a national park was that all of these private landowners that owned entrances to the cave had to give their entrances up and or convince the park to buy their entrances from them or hold on to it for like dear life. So 
during the 1920s, before this all happened, more and more people were flocking to the area to vacation. So tons of entrances to the cave system had either been discovered or made using explosives, and dozens of caves were now competing for tourist dollars. Floyd Collins owned a section of the cave called Crystal Cave, but was losing out on dollars in the Kentucky Cave Wars between other private owners. His cave was hard to get to, lacked any lodging, and he was losing money. Collins began excavating a new entrance to Sand Cave, which he hoped would steal visitors from the then privately owned Mammoth Cave. While excavating, an enormous boulder shifted, pinning him by the leg. He was found a day later, still pinned, and what followed was one of the nation's first and most morbid media frenzies. Radio and newspapers carried regular updates on Colin's predicament, and soon, rubberneckers and well-wishers from all over were flocking to central Kentucky to follow the drama. Food stamps popped up around the area, and people sold literal souvenirs, Allison. Wait, while this guy is like has this fucking leg pinned? This guy is this guy is stuck under a boulder, and this was the oh, response of the public. My God, yes, it, it yeah, not good. So, meanwhile, rescuers could not figure out how to move this boulder. In a series of truly unfortunate events for poor Floyd, another cave-in occurred, blocking him off from all help. Now he couldn't even be saved by amputation. After two weeks, Collins died alone from exposure. Oh, two weeks oh my god two weeks literally my worst nightmare that's so sad because like there was another cave and he was completely alone and then yeah yeah like that that's one of the worst things i've ever i know i know it gets worse oh can't fucking wait okay hold on so Floyd was eventually found and removed from the cave after several years and interred in a family cemetery. Years. I know. I know. Also, the fact that, like, they had to go in there and get his body out from under a rock and inter him. His corpse, yeah. Yeah. Not it. Corpse rock. So, a lot of corpse rocks in this cave. Um... His father sold the cave and property to a local dentist who somehow obtained the permission to exhume Floyd's body and put it on display in a glass-lit coffin at the entrance to Sand Cave, where hundreds of tourists could look at his decaying corpse. Um, It gets worse. Eventually, Floyd's body was stolen. Stolen. Sure, sure. The theory is it was stolen by rival cave owners who were angry at the number of tourists the body was attracting. After a few days, his body was discovered in a field, minus one leg, which was never found, and he was put back in his coffin and sand cave. Now sands the viewing lid, though people still peeked inside. The National Park System bought Sand Cave in 1961 and closed the cave to tourists, but surprisingly didn't give Floyd a proper burial until 1989. So his body was just chilling out for 28 years, just chilling in the cave. I just don't understand why they didn't do anything with his body for 28 years, but that's just me. But his body is now buried. So naturally, as I'm sure you can imagine, this cave is fucking haunted. 
Okay. Yeah, me too. I would be pissed. <laughs> In the areas surrounding Floyd Collins' grim demise by starvation, his voice has been heard by numerous rangers calling for help, and objects have been thrown at random with no culprit in sight. This cave is mm-hmm. still close to tourists, but you can technically access it through Mammoth Cave in a recent tunnel discovery. Um, so what's great, so the Floyd Caves that he was in until very recently were considered a separate cave unit. But in the last couple of years, they found an eight mile long tunnel that connects the two. <gasps> so it's now actually Ooh. called the Mammoth Floyd Caves. So Floyd got his name on there in the end. But at what hyphenated marriage? Yeah. At what cost? Okay. So wait, just real fast. I have to say, if I am ever in a position where I am dying potentially in some weird, probably going to happen weird way, and I exit the cave or whatever and see all of y'all out there with fucking food trucks and souvenir stands. I can't even describe the amount of poltergeist activity you and your family will experience upon me dying. Precisely. I, Thank you. You would never get a full night of rest ever again. What a horrible Eternally. thing to do. I would be wailing and throwing shit too. Oh, absolutely. So, my final full encounter is from a recent visitor who wrote a blog about his experiences hiking in the cave with his wife. The following is his encounter. Okay. Quote. After looking over some brochures, we decided the trail we'd like to hike before dark was Cedar Sink Trail. Cedar Sink is in an area where the underground rivers briefly emerge before soaking back into the earth. By the time we reached the trail, the sky was starting to dim. About a quarter of a mile down the trail, my wife half-joked we'd end up stranded on the trail past dark. I laughed and added, yeah, with a bunch of Kentucky Bigfoot and weird cave ghosts roaming around. She didn't think that was very funny, so I shut up and we continued on. (laughs) This guy is so funny. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) About ten minutes later, she spotted some unusual-looking plants growing alongside the trail. Unable to decide what they were, she started on again. I lingered a moment, staring at the patch of plants and taking in the scenery when I saw something the likes of which I have never seen. Suddenly, amongst the mystery plants, I clearly saw a woman's face about three feet from the trail. I can still vividly picture it when I close my eyes. The woman appeared to be Caucasian or at the very least fair-skinned. She seemed to be in her late 20s or early 30s. Her hair was long and black, which she wore up in a bun with a singular curl hanging down on her forehead. Her skin was pale gray, her nose was thin, and her chin was angular. The face was solid but appeared flat and one-dimensional. She wore a disinterested look on her face, reminiscent of faces from 19th century photographs, a time when no one smiled for the camera because exposure times took minutes rather than split seconds. For all intents and purposes, it seemed like in the blink of an eye, someone had clipped a face from a vintage photo and imposed it in front of the plants. Though my description is lengthy, I probably only saw the face for a full second. Immediately after seeing the face, I turned to follow my wife. It was as though my mind couldn't interpret what I had seen quickly enough to keep my eyes on it. I immediately turned back to the plant and exclaimed, what the hell? My wife turned around alarmed and asked me what I had seen. I ignored her for several seconds and continued staring at the area while I assumed she became thoroughly concerned about my mental health. When I finally (laughs) told her what I saw, she began to get frightened, so I began to downplay the whole thing and we continued on our walk. 
He goes on after this to say that they walked the two-mile hike and he ruminated on it for nine days before writing this account. He did not believe in ghosts before this and was joking about it and now is a firm believer. So, finally, I know, not, not the funnest thing ever. On top of all of these super scary things, Mammoth Cave is also home to some of the largest shark fossils known to man oh i forgot about the shark ghost <laughs> yes oh my goodness okay 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 <laughs> you're gonna be disappointed by this i'm so sorry okay probably not <laughs> shark fossils we're Come talking on. shark fossils that are larger than the mythical shark of jaws huge ass sharks there's a whole article i can send you you'll appreciate it more than i did again i was almost an archaeologist i I love archaeology and i also fucking love sharks i cannot be disappointed about whatever you're about to tell me you would love this cave so i'm gonna go i'm gonna fucking go okay so because like the caves used to be like a little watering hole for a lot of sea creatures there's all these there's all these prehistoric shark fossils they found like full jaw bones all of these things and allison Mm mm-hmm the concept of a shark ghost. The ghosts <laughs> of sharks that are haunting these researchers now that they have disturbed the fossils. Okay, what is it? What is it? What, what is it? There's just, they think that there's a shark ghost. I don't know. Oh, there's not a specific experience. There's not a specific experience. There's just like some of the researchers who have found these fossils claim that they get really cold while they're digging up the fossils and they think that there's a And they a feel like ghost. a weird fishy slap like i i how do they know it's a, a shark they don't ghost? know are they caressed by a dorsal fin <laughs> they I'm don't confused. know they don't know all they said was that they think there's a shark ghost interesting i'm really sorry i told you you'd be disappointed by this oh i'm not dis- <laughs> I'm, I'm still not disappointed i just think it's very funny how vague they're they being. made it so there's this whole article about them discovering this this shark okay and in the article they make reference to the fact that there could be a shark ghost because they all had this like cold feeling as they were excavating the shark. So I would personally like to imagine the old slaves that used to explore these caves riding on the back of said dinosaur sharks and chasing mm-hmm. white people out of the cave. <laughs> That's what I'm going with personally. <sighs> I just like to imagine that the shark ghost is like, because there's still a lot of unexhumed bodies from these burial sites in the cave that they just like can't get to for whatever reason. It just, just would leave be them, too dangerous. there. Yeah, mm. they, exactly. Just yeah. Leave them there. We'll leave them there. <laughs> so I just like to imagine that Stephen Bishop and shark ghosts <laughs> are floating around the 420 miles of these caves like... I like to imagine that Stephen Bishop gets to go in parts of the caves he couldn't go in with, like, a physical body, and that shark oh, yeah. ghost is, like, checking on him, you know? Or, like, swims him up to this, like, cool cavern that only the fishes knew about. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Exactly. I love it. So, oh, I just, I love that. That, my friend, is Mammoth Cave, and it's weird fucking vibes. <sighs> I am so happy I went first. I feel so light and happy and excited and just hopeful for my future. Whereas the last like two, three days when I was putting together my story, rancid vibes, terrible feelings. I 
Wow, I'm so good. I love our juxtaposition <laughs> as friends because I was you like, will, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody in between, you will get a different story each time you come here. So, shark ghost, <laughs> shark. shark ghost, ooh ha ha. <laughs> oh, cave shark, do 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 do, cave shark. Cave shark. <laughs> This has been so fun. Phantom Allison. Shark doot doot doot. Doo. <laughs> I'm sorry, okay. Spectre shark doot 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 doot. <laughs> Satanic shark doot 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 doot. Do. <laughs> sorry. Oh, I just woke my cat up. Okay. Um, this was extremely unhinged, you guys. You can expect this from our future episodes for this month, and mm-hmm. you can expect um, the next several episodes of October to be. Just as spooky. Absolutely. And you can also expect Jess to probably save the day with something that we all love. I think I'm leaning into this funny ghost story thing. I think that's going to be my MO no, for I all of these. No, I think that I really appreciate that. And I'm sure our listeners will too. Like, they want to be scared and they can get that from me. Great. But you are our saving grace. You are the Shit's Creek we watch after we watch something scary. Happy, happy to be here. Happy to be here. Allison, what are we doing next week? All right, guys. Um, girls, gays, and theys. Next week will be haunted objects. The week after that will be poltergeist stories, and then your special episode coming out on the thirty first will be your own personal ghost stories, which I am so excited for. All right, guys. So okay. we will. We are expecting to hear your stories for October thirty first, and I have high hopes. You Me knocked too our socks off for the confessions one and i know the ghost one will be great as well can't wait all right guys well thank you so much for listening um we will see you all next week for jess haunted objects i gotta find i gotta find a haunted fossil all right you guys (laughs) i gotta i gotta hunt it down (laughs) my little archaeologist friend here okay guys all right have a good night Bye. bye